Welcome to the Choosing to Stay podcast. We're your hosts, Hallie Roderick and Stephanie Hamby, certified relationship and recovery coaches. We specialize in supporting couples who are healing from infidelity and betrayal. We invite you to join us each week as we explore the challenges and joys of the recovery journey for couples who are choosing to stay in a relationship after betrayal. We'll encourage you with hope for healing and transformation. Connection, empathy, growth, choosing to stay. Thank you for joining us today on another episode of Choosing to Stay podcast. We are so grateful to have you here with us. Hallie and I are going to be discussing the topic of integrating safety and security as a new lifestyle in recovery and healing and what it looks like to start living out these new healthy behaviors, identifying the ones that are no longer serving us and living out these new behaviors and lifestyle that's really going to be growth and beneficial for both partners in the relationship. And then also the one who has acted out in their recovery path and plan forward. Hallie, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm really excited about talking about this today because I think when you get thrown into this world of betrayal trauma, like a lot of times you should start having awarenesses of maybe unhealthy things in your, your relationship that maybe you either overlooked or you didn't understand the impact they were having. And maybe you weren't even aware that they were happening. And then all of a sudden your eyes are wide open and you start to see some of the unhealthy dynamics that show up. And after betrayal, one of the first things that we talk about creating is safety and I know that just from my experience in my work, that that word can actually be a little confusing to the one who has acted out. We've talked about the different kinds of safety, but if there's physical safety issues, if there's a physical abuse or abuse of any type happening, then we need to talk about a different level of safety. Like we're talking, you need to get to a different location type of safety. What we're talking about today is more of the relational safety concerns the communication, the emotional and psychological safety, but also behavioral safety, things that need to change in order to help a betrayed partner learn to trust again. And so this is really work around rebuilding trust and creating safety for the one who has acted out and kind of just giving you some ideas of what that looks like. And so I think there's so many different areas or directions that we could go with this, but I think let's talk about on a day-to-day basis, what does that look like, especially early on? And as our conversation continues, we're going to talk about how this kind of changes and grows as you heal and progress. But let's maybe start by talking about early on, what do we mean by what behaviors create safety and what kind of things can a betrayed partner look for? And the one that's acted out strive for in rebuilding this trust and creating safety. So my first thing is honesty and transparency. That's the first thing that comes up to me. Uh, Honesty and transparency in where you're at, in where you're going, who you're with, with your technology, with conversations that you're having. So little things, those are not little, I shouldn't use the word little, but things like that, that maybe you didn't think about or weren't a big deal pre-discovery of betrayal, but all of a sudden are a really big deal after betrayal. 
Yeah, those are huge. And honestly, it is like that foundation of we have to have those in place to be able to begin building trust. And I just want to throw this out there because this comes up so often in work with my clients. It's like, how do we get to trust? And trust isn't something that happens overnight. And so a lot of times I'll hear partners say like, well, I've forgiven. Why don't I trust? And so we can have forgiveness without having that trust piece. Trust is built with consistency and reliability over a extended period of time. And this is like, as you were talking earlier, I was thinking of the benefits for the one who has acted out to be able to step in to this new lifestyle and all the work that they are doing. These behaviors, this integrating into their lifestyle, these new healthy behaviors is protecting and guarding the work. Like we talk about the work that we're doing is protecting and guarding all that that you've already done. So it's like a continual growth and integrating that in. Can I just touch on one other thing around the trusting again? Yes. You were saying that and the betrayed partner often goes, how can I trust? And then on the other side, we often see the one who's acted out getting frustrated because they're like, I'm not doing that anymore. You don't have to worry about that. That's not happening. I'm not doing that. So if they've gotten to a place of recovery or where the acting out behaviors have stopped and those aren't happening anymore, they have a hard time understanding why their betrayed partner can't just jump back in and fully trust again because the behaviors aren't happening. And so that consistency over an extended period of time is really good for both of you to understand. And what we're talking about today is how you start to build that trust as the one who has acted out. These types of things are how you begin to help your partner trust again. Yeah. Can I just like give an example of like what this looks like in early recovery, picking up, learning, getting educated on these new tools. There's so much information that the brain and the body is processing. So it's like absorbing so much. And so there is sometimes this like not intentional disconnect of content and behavioral truth, but there is sometimes a disconnect. It's like the behavior takes a minute to catch up with all this stuff that I'm learning. So oftentimes in like early recovery, we'll hear things being said, like a lot of verbatim to what they are learning. So it can sound very robotic. It can sound like they've read it out of a textbook and they're just repeating it back. Uh, And I would say that's normal, but what we're hoping for in relational repair is this continual growth. We're integrating this behavior to match what is being said. And that goes along with that trust building process. It is a slower process. What that looks like though, and what I was thinking of whenever you're saying that is like, when we are talking about living this, like integrating it into the lifestyle, we're talking about in every area of the person's life. So for the one who acted out, it's not just, I'm not just showing consistency and reliability and connection time or with my recovery work, like Yes, I'm meeting with my coach every week and I'm going to group and I have my sponsor accountability. We're connecting on these moments. It is the outside things that are going on. So how are you showing up as a parent? How are you showing up as a worker or business owner and all these other areas? That's where the behavioral truth really all ties together. So it has to be very consistent growth. I hope I gave some clarity of that because I see it so much of like, Sometimes we have this disconnect and it can be really confusing. 
And if it's something that is new to you, if you're developing these new skills, I think of it like learning a language, like early on, you are just reciting it, but you don't maybe know exactly the right way to put the accent on or the right way to, <laughs> to put the words together. And so I've had people, I've had trade partners whose husband took my help her heal class and she goes, well, he's saying the right words. I can tell that he learned the words to say when he was in your class, but his actions aren't actually backing up the words that he's saying. And then I also think of an example of where maybe the one that's acted out is doing, checking all the boxes, like you said, and they're showing up to their betrayed partner in the relationship in ways that they're making effort. But yet the betrayed partner sees things like they're watching off-colored Instagram, they're following off-colored Instagram accounts, or they're they're listening to things or they're talking to their friends about different things that aren't necessarily appropriate. And so when I think about the word integrity, I think about how are you in every area of your life? Can you consistently be the same person that you are with your spouse as the same one as you are when you go to lunch with coworkers or you go out at night with your buddies? Are you the same person in every area of your life? And does everybody kind of have the same view of you? Or, or do you kind of have a double life that you're living where you're one thing at home with your wife and then you're something else outside? And that is one of the biggest ways to shatter trust because we need to see that the healing and the growth is happening at a core level and not because quite honestly, those behaviors are scary for a lot of betrayed partners. Because those are things that are familiar to the time when the acting out was happening. And so if those things, you're trying to control them at home, but then you go and do, do those things outside of the house, that's not safety. <laughs> that's not creating an environment of safety for your betrayed partner to heal. Yeah. And then, and then just to back it up a little bit, what we're talking about is like this over it's, it's almost like an aerial view of like what the recovery looks like and integrating this in. And there is area or I guess room for like this grace growth period as we are learning. And I want to be sensitive to that. But at the same time, the more awareness that is being created through recovery, the more this should be utilized in the daily life. Some things I'm thinking of is like specifically is when there is physical distance away from each other. So like if our, we're learning these new skills and tools and we're implementing them in our connection time and the time that we are together is what am I doing in my time away? Like when we have physical distance, so that could look like a travel trip, like a, a business trip, a travel away. Maybe it's just like, this is the time I'm away from you because of whatever reason, because of my schedule. And so physical distance and how do we create safety and security in those moments? Um, we can see content and behavioral truth when the person is right in front of us. We like, it's, it's easier to, for the brain to be like, yes, this is safe. This is not safe. When all these things are happening, what tends to happen with partners who have experienced trauma from betrayal is when the part, the one who has acted out is away from them. The, the responses are a lot more heightened because they can't mm -hmm. see right in front of them what is happening. So creating, integrating this new lifestyle looks like, how are we, pre-planning for safety for these moments when you can't see exactly what I'm doing. How are we creating a plan of safety and security? 
And I would love to talk about that for a minute because I think that it's so important of kind of bringing all of this together of, is there this overall content and behavioral truth that is happening as we are working in healing and recovery? Yeah, I am really curious to see what your thoughts are on this because I think it's it can be challenging because not always, but sometimes acting out happened when partners traveled, when a spouse traveled, either for work or for pleasure or whatever. There was a lot of, a lot of times acting out happens when they travel. And so that is like a landmine of triggers for a betrayed partner when they have to travel for work again. And it can be really challenging to create that safety. So I know people who have gone to the extent of like, when they get checked into their hotel, they set up a camera in their hotel room so that if their betrayed partner wanted to, they could check in and see where they're at and what they're doing. Or they take the remote control to the front desk at the hotel and say, keep these, I don't want it in my room so that they're not tempted to watch anything inappropriate on the the TV screen. Or they have their location on. That's kind of just a basic, like most most people in this situation share their location so that at any given time we can check to see where they're at. Now, having said all that, I don't recommend betrayed partners police. Like that is just creates an unnecessary burden and the betrayed partner. And so even though it's the natural tendency, I think early on to want to police and to want to know because you're fact finding, you're, you're wanting to figure out what the reality is, what the truth of your reality and what actually is happening but we don't really recommend policing. So it's really valuable if it's the one who has acted out coming to you saying, Hey, this is what I'm going to do for you to help you feel safe. And is there anything else that you would want or that you would need from me rather than the betrayed partner going, you can't do this. You can't do that. And you have to do this. You have to do that. But it's way more trust building. If the one who's acted out says, Hey, I realize this might be activating for you. And I want to be able to create whatever safety you need. These are the things I've thought of. And what could you do or what else do you need from me that would help you feel safe? So I don't know. What are your thoughts on how do we create this when, when we're away from each other? Yeah, it's, it's along the same lines. Um, What I've seen happen is there is almost always with the ones who have acted out, there's an avoidance tendency. So like they, it's kind of just like this behavior that they carry of avoidance. So even if they recognize that like, oh, I'm going on this trip, this could be activating for my partner. There's a tendency to avoid the conversation. And I would say anytime that there is like conflict, it is an opportunity for intimacy and growth. So if you're feeling that conflict inside of you, go ahead and get out in front of it. We're leaning into it because that's going to help provide safety and security. So like in these moments, it just the one who has acted out, just if the partner knows that they have put any thought and effort into it, it goes like, I want to say like leaps and bounds, like, whoa, you actually thought about this. That is huge. I mean, that is a really great step of empathy. So doing some, like, I call it like pre-planning. I'm not sure there's probably a better word for this, but like, maybe it's like self-reflection or pre-reflection. I don't even know what you would call it, but It is taking time to say, okay, I'm going out of town. I'm going on this trip. I'm going to be physically away from you. Could my partner be activated in this time? Okay. Yes. I've come to that conclusion. They may be. What are some things that I'm doing to guard and protect my own integrity, recovery work, all the things that I'm doing to to protect myself 
what are those things? And maybe even making a list. Like I mm -hmm. plan to be in my room at such and such time. I plan to do all the, these are things I'm doing just to make sure that my recovery stays intact. Then taking a moment to say, brainstorm, what do I think my partner may need? And then after you've correlated some sort of like plan, meeting your partner and saying, Hey, these are some things I'm thinking. Is there anything else you need? So it's exactly along the lines of what you were saying, inviting your partner in to help create that is also huge because I know that there are some routes that would be more like unilateral decisions. Like, no, this is exactly what I'm doing. It will provide safety for you and I'm not allowing your input, but unilateral decisions is a huge barrier to authentic connection, providing that safety and security. So bringing the partner in and saying, what is it that you need? I'm going to touch on this really quick, Hallie, because we were talking about it before. And I think it's so important is that in these moments, as we are both learning what we need, what is going to be appropriate is having the mindset of we can change our mind. Like, so the partner can change their mind. Maybe we don't know what it is that we need. So we throw out some ideas. Okay, let's try this. Well, then we actually get into the trip and realize, oh no, this is working, but I need to add this. Or I don't really need you to check in every after every meeting or whatever it is. And so allowing some like grace and room there for those moments and that it can shift and change and that's okay too. But we need to make sure we're communicating that we're not just making a decision of like any rash decisions to like change or alter the plan because that could take you steps back. I think too about how kind of going back to what we were talking about a minute ago, where with the consistency of the behaviors, if the one who's acted out comes to the betrayed partner with a plan and says, this is what I'm willing to do. That's a huge, great first step. And I think a really critical key to that is, and what else would you need? Is there anything else that you would need? Because otherwise it can come off as like, this is what I'm willing to do. You should be happy with it. I don't know what your problem is if this isn't enough because this is all I'm willing to do. That doesn't really create a safety but opening it up and having that space for the betrayed partner to go, okay, that feels good. And would you be willing to do this as well? Would you be willing to, you know, call me after every meeting? Maybe I need that. And then I love that concept of, I have a right to change my mind. As we continue to learn and grow, I think early on, it's often common, like if there's been well, the, almost always there's deceit and lies and things like that with, with this betrayal, but that creating safety can look like calling your betrayed partner and saying, Hey, I'm leaving work. I should be home in 20 minutes, but then you get stuck in traffic and you, then you just touch in and go, Hey, just want you to know I'm stuck in traffic, but I'm still on my way or, Oh, I forgot that I needed to run into Walmart on the way home. Cause I needed a couple things. So I'm going to be longer than I thought because don't underestimate the activation that can happen in a betrayed partner's mind and the stories that can be created if they don't know where you're at and what you're doing and you're not being honest and transparent even if it's not an intentional act of deception early on having that honesty and transparency about where you are and what you're doing and who you're with can be the first thing that you need to start doing as you rebuild trust and that will likely subside over time 
with that consistency over time, your betrayed partner will likely go, okay, I appreciate that you're checking in all the time. I don't actually need you to do that. Maybe I just need you to let me know that you've left the office and you're on your way home. Or maybe just me having your location, I trust that you're going to be home at the regular time. If you're not, I'll do a quick glance at your location and see that you're stuck in traffic or you had to stop at Walmart or whatever. So things can change over time of what you need. And I think that that's an important piece too of for the betrayed partner is learning what you need because I don't know how many times I've had betrayed partners that go, I don't even know. I don't know what I need. And so kind of giving yourself permission to explore that. And for the one that's acted out, giving your betrayed partner the space to have a voice to say, I think I need this. This would help me. And really getting to the place where you can verbalize and ask for what you need in those moments is important. Yes, it's huge. And I, I like the idea of like, just trying it, like, let's just try this and see, because if you're just in the early stages of discovering what your needs are, seeing what it feels like, like learning all this new world, then saying something like, Hey, can we just try this and see if this works? And trying it out and see if it helps create safety and security. If it doesn't, okay, let's try something else. And knowing that our options are not limited. Some of the things that you mentioned too, I see it so much with my couples is there are commonly all of these boundaries that come out and early, like usually right after discovery, like all these boundaries will come out. And then as they progress and move and safety and security is being provided, then they feel like, do we still need these in place? Like, do we need to add more? Do they need to be a little more flexible? Like, what do we do with this? And there's a lot of fear in releasing some of those like really strong non-negotiables. So in those, it's like, it's okay to have boundaries that are like seasonal. It's okay to have boundaries that are, this was really important to me right now or like earlier. And I don't necessarily need it right now. It doesn't mean that I will never need it again. And so having that like, the flexibility with boundaries of like different seasons, different things that you guys do, all these different things play into that. And so having some like flexibility and grace towards self is really big and communication is huge in that just communicating. Okay. This is what I need in this moment. Are you willing to meet that need? Mm -hmm. Okay. That question right there is where my brain is headed right now is, are you willing to meet that need? Because we're talking from the perspective that we have two people who are willing and are wanting to rebuild the relationship and rebuild the trust. And so what if that isn't happening? Like we're talking about what kind of like a safety plan for the one who has acted out to work, to rebuild trust. And what if that isn't happening? I think we need a safety plan on the other side too, for the betrayed partner. If the safety isn't being created, if the honesty and transparency isn't happening and you don't see the integrity across all areas of their life, then what? What does that mean for you? And what is your safety plan if those safety behaviors are not being created? And maybe we need to do a full episode on that, but let's just touch on like, I need to know if this happens, then what am I going to do? Do I have a plan to create safety? Do I have somewhere if it gets really bad that I can go or that I can request that my partner leave if I need to? Do I have trusted support people in place? Do I have tools if I get so activated that I'm 
out of my window of tolerance. What do I do with that? Do I have a place to process that? Do I have something that I can do to calm my regulate and regulate my nervous system so that I can make a logical choice? And so I think having a safety plan for the betrayed partner, if those things aren't happening is really critical as well. Yeah. Well, and my thoughts literally went to like, even if all of these other things are being provided, like if we've created the plan, we're sticking to the plan and all the things are going, most likely the partner is still going to be moving out of activation. And so there's like a relational safety plan and then there's the partner safety plan. So, but yes, even more importantly is if the one who has acted out is not willing or is not meeting the needs there, then what are you doing to take care of yourself? What do you need in those moments? And spending some time with that. I would spend time with it, make lists, make journal entries, discover what it is that you need or might need if this were to arise and you don't have the needs being met there. (laughs) I was just thinking about some of my betrayed partners who, you know, the acting out did happen while their husband was traveling and that's a normal part of their business life is they have to travel sometimes and making a plan for themselves so that they don't just sit home and ruminate the whole time while their spouse is out traveling, but having a plan in place that they can do things for themselves while they're gone. So they don't just sit in that activation for the whole weekend or the whole week while their partner is gone. But what is my plan to take care of me so that I can stay in a a good place that I can you know, take care of myself and do I have a healthy support system? And, you know, what do I need in this time is critical. Even maybe it's not even just traveling, but if I know there's a lot of stay at home moms, if you're a stay at home mom and you know, you're, you're at home with the kids all day or the kids are in school and your husband is working and it can be kind of a landmine in your brain of activation. And so how do you take care of yourself? What's your self-care routine like? Because I don't know about you, Stephanie, but I'm still reliant on my self-care routine to keep myself in a good mental and emotional space so that my mind doesn't take over. (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. Uh, You know, a lot of the work for the partner, like the healing work is learning about needs, learning about values system and and the self and like, how, how do I want to show up in the world? So even taking time to discover, like, if this situation is coming up, we're going to be physically away from each other. What do I need from my partner? But needs are met by connecting to God, ourselves and others. So there's some work for the partner that could be done in this is just sitting down and saying, okay, these are the needs. I've come up with the needs now, which area and who is to meet what need? So in your own safety plan, there's going to be an area for your partner of like things that he may or may cannot do in those moments that they're away from you. Um, But there's other people that can meet your needs too. your support group, your coach or therapist, your safe, other people connecting to God. What are you doing for self-care? And so, yes, needs are met in all different areas. And so looking at, okay, what is it that needs to be met? What is it for my partner? What is it for the rest? And that helps me like, break it down. Like what I was saying, it's like, okay, this breaks it down to like, it is more than just him or the one who has acted out that can fulfill those safety and security needs in those moments, whatever, but specifically in this moment. Yeah. And I think 
That's huge because we need to be able to trust ourselves and know that we can take care of ourselves before we can ever trust another person. And so, I mean, at least in my opinion, I think it starts with trusting ourselves. And if we put all of our eggs in their basket of whether or not they're going to do these things so that we're okay, that's not a healthy mindset. And so doing everything we can to take care of our own needs and then watching and observing and having good boundaries in place. Well, if this happens or if this doesn't happen, then I have a plan in place. I know what I will do to take care of myself. And so it's empowering really to think about what do I need? How can I meet that need if my spouse is unwilling or unable to do that? Yeah. So good. Okay. So that kind of leads me to maybe our final thought around this is taking the ownership of your own work, your own healing work. And remembering that I love the phrase that you used before we started recording of what's good for me is good for us. And what's good for us is good for me. And having that mindset of I'm going to do everything I can. that's within my power to focus on my healing. I'm going to let my spouse do the same thing. And I'm going to do my part to show up in the relationship in a healthy way. And I will hope that my spouse will do the same thing. But I won't jump into their work or try to educate or teach them what to do. At the same time, kind of integrating it. So you were talking about it and I loved how you were talking about it earlier. So why don't you share your thoughts on this? Because I think you're your thoughts make more sense than what I just said. Yeah. So the idea came or my thoughts around this came from when the one who has acted out is in recovery, oftentimes they will create like secondary boundaries or like second layer protective boundaries, the ladder, all these different things that are protecting their recovery. So for example, it's like, these are my primary acting out behaviors the physical affair, pornography, emotional affair, whatever they are, these are my primary acting out behaviors. Then what am I doing to protect and guard that? And they will create those in their recovery program. That's a very common practice that happens. What I often see is that they create those and it is very like, it's solely about me and not my relational work. And it's good. We need that. But we also in relational repair are bringing in the voice of the partner. So What this looks like is I am creating this safety and security plan and it is good for me. It is protecting, it is guarding, it is helping me grow into the person I'm trying to become, but it is also good for us. It is good for the relational repair and it is good for my partner's safety. It's good for my partner's security. And so bringing in your partner's voice in that is huge of like, these are all the things I'm doing to protect and guard. Is there anything that you think that would be beneficial to add into that? And so a lot of relational repair is, yes, we are taking ownership and doing our own healing and recovery work, but there's both in this. It's us. I mean, it's me. And then it's also us. And so what other layer of protection do we need or to protect us? That was kind of my thoughts around it. And that's not my saying what is good for me is good for us. That's, I think it was Jake Porter that said that, and I've just picked it up and I love it. I have a lot of those little phrases and I can't always contribute to the, <laughs> the, who they came from, but, yeah. but they stick with you. And I think that's a great one. That is a good one to hold on to. Is this good for me? And is it good for us? And that could be a good question to ask yourself as you're 
contemplating your behaviors and your choices of, is this good for me? And is it good for us? Okay. I think that's such a great conversation. I hope that you have gained some value from it listening to us. I don't know about you, Stephanie, but I would suspect that a lot of times when I'm working with couples, we can help guide them through that safety plan when they're a part of what they need in the early on phases of recovery. So if you're in that place where you're like, I don't even know what I need, then reach out to your coach or reach out to your therapist and ask for some guidance around that. Ultimately, you you always get to be the last say of you know what you need and you know what's best for you. And that's part of that trusting your intuition and learning to trust yourself. And sometimes you need somebody to throw some ideas your direction of what might, you know, some ideas that might be good. And then you can go, oh yeah, that's what I needed. I couldn't put words to it, but oh yeah, yep. Or no, maybe that's not exactly what I need, but it does make me think of this and this is what I need. And so you always get to know that you're the only one that gets to decide what's best for you. And if you need a little support and guidance, don't hesitate to reach out to a professional that is trained that can help you brainstorm and process through what exactly it is that you need. So thank you so much for being here with us. Um, We hope you'll join us next week and we appreciate you listening to our show and would love for you to give us a review or rate us and help us to stay on other people's radar so that they can get the information that they need in their own healing growth. So we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Choosing to Stay podcast. If you have enjoyed this show, we invite you to subscribe, share, and leave us a review. Connection, empathy, and growth. Choosing to Stay.